I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hawkeye Nation podcast, HawkeyeNation.com. Andrew Downs and Rob Howe back with you once again. Rob, how you doing, man? Still on this ride, Andrew, the <laughs> 2020 ride that just seems to keep keep going and going. We're almost, what, six months through? We're almost halfway through the, month of the year. We're, we're only halfway through. I know. You think of everything that's happened already. <laughs> oh, and by the way, there's an election this year, and uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's going to be quite quite a final six months of 2020, uh, and we'll talk about some of that stuff uh Thank you for for being patient with us. We didn't do a podcast last week. I had a lot going on here, and we'll we'll touch on some of that as we get into uh, into this and and all the light topics that we have to talk about. Rob, you know, racism and COVID nineteen <laughs> and all of that. Uh, but of course, you know, we'll we'll touch on some of the the sports things as well. Luca Garza and Fran McCaffrey speaking with the media a little bit last week, or I guess speaking uh, with a. In, in one of the Hawkeye kind of forums, you know, Q&A thing, um, talked a little bit about Luca and uh, Rick Brown has a cool piece on, on HawkeyeNation.com about Luca and kind of what, what what's ahead for him and, and this basketball team that we're all so excited for. But before we get to that, uh, we are still awaiting the results. It kind of feels like there, there's a big pause on a lot of the, the racial tension stuff in within the Iowa football program. Not a complete pause, and we'll, we'll get into that as well, but uh, in, until we learn the results of this alleged uh, investigation into the alleged racism within that Hawkeye football program. Uh, we, there's just really nothing definitive we're going to know in, until then. I'd be surprised, I guess, if you know we get a lot of access to, to Kirk Ferentz or Gary Barta until we we learn more about that or until they have the results of this. Um, and at the time, Gary Barta said weeks, not months, for this investigation to take place. Rob, do you have any any information? Is there any new information or any idea as to uh, when we can expect some of these uh, some of the results of this investigation to come out? No, Andrew, I really haven't heard how how far along they are in the investigation in terms of uh, we we did have a story, I think it was two weeks ago on the on the law firm in Kansas City that the university hired um, and is paying to do this uh, investigation. Um, It'll just be interesting when that comes back, when when that report comes back, what it says, um, you know, how specific it gets. how much the university shares, you know, the transparency of the report and, and what is what is shared publicly and what they withhold, what they can withhold. Um, but like you said, just 
lot of unanswered questions until that comes back. And also, as you said, I just I don't feel like you know, Gary Barta or Kirk Ferentz are going to speak on any allegations or anything that's being investigated in that report uh, for that report until it's over with. And, um, you know, we'll just kind of have to see. There's just there's a lot of he said, he said, I think that's going to be involved in this report. And that's going to make it I think that's going to leave a lot of gray area, even when we get the report back. So interested to see what's in the report, how much gray area there there is and what, if any, actions are taken, you know, within the program based on what this report comes back and says. Yeah. And then the, the kind of step beyond that will then be how do these former players who have been vocal and have talked about this, uh, is it enough? You know, whatever the report says and whatever the actions that are taken, uh, is this continuing Iowa on the path to to kind of fixing this this issue within their culture that that's obviously been there for a long time? Um I have talked to a few pl- former players that are a bit skeptical about a report being done by a law firm that's hired by the university. And I can kind of see that. I don't know what the alternative would be to that. Um, you know, who, you know, if the NCAA uh, w- would pay for an investigation or the Big Ten. Um, but there are going to be there. I, I just from talking to former players and I know just people on the outside that look at this report, there, there's some skepticism about how it's being handled. But again, I'm not an expert in that area, so I can't speak to what the other options were. Yeah, that's going to be interesting, especially as you said, how much of this is, is made public. And I think for, for Iowa's sake, even if it's bad and even if it's damning and even if it's, you know, ultimately damning, uh, the, the, the more. And I think they've done a good job of this up till now with this. The the more kind of um, openness you can give to the public, the more information, the more out there you are, the more willing to answer questions and to to, to put this stuff out there, the better it's going to be. Now, again, it it may be worse in the short term, but in the long term, that that's what's going to be better. Because if this comes back and and a lot of it is redacted, or we we just get some kind of uh, simple bullet points, and and especially if there's no like real action taken. Um, that that's it's just not going to be satisfying. I don't I don't think to anybody, um, and and that's where Iowa could get kind of back into the news cycle as as a, somebody you know a team or a program kind of trying to cover this stuff up and and not handling this the right way. I, th- I think the way they've handled it uh, up until now has been good, but yeah, it's it's going to be really important how they disseminate the information that they get from this report. I did file a FOIA, a Freedom of Information Act, for. Um, the report that Gary Barter referred to during his press conference on June 15th, um, when they formed that diversity task force for, you know, for, you know, looking into the Iowa athletic department as a whole based on, um, uneven numbers and graduation rates, um, between blacks and whites in the, in the department. Um, and that was a report I think that was, handed back to the athletic department by that diversity task force uh, in early 2019. And as far as I could find, I do not see that be, I did not see that being made a public record anywhere, either on the university website or anywhere through the media. Um, but Gary Barta uh, referred to that report and um, you know, which is about a year and a half old now that there were charges or, you know, anonymous allegations against um, 
programs within the athletic department that that were similar to what we heard from the former football players. And to my knowledge, that report has not been released publicly. Um, and, you know, I, I got a quote here from Gary Barter. While no teams or individuals, while no teams or individuals were singled out in the report, it was reported verbally that many of these comments were coming from football. Um, those are Gary Barter's own, own words. And these were, you know, I, I, I felt like I had to put a mask on and check my identity at the door, had to change my hairstyle because it didn't fit with the Iowa culture. Those are the, some of the things that Gary Barter mentioned um, uh, himself. Those are his own words. So, and that report was never made public. So a lot of eyes are on how they handle this report. And I think a lot, I'm probably not the only one that foiled that former report that came out, um, in two, early 2019. Yeah. And I think you're exactly right. The, the look at kind of how they have, um, because as, as they said, we, they, they realized there was a problem before the, what, you know, however long it was ago now that, that James Daniels and, and others uh, started tweeting about it. Uh, gosh, that feels like <laughs> it, it, it was it, June 3rd. It, June 3rd was James Daniels' first tweet. It um, simultaneously Thursday, feels like June yesterday 4th, and like six months ago. Some other guys jumped in. Okay. Um, so coming up on a month Friday ago. Friday the 5th, it, you know, all heck broke loose. <laughs> so coming up on a month ago from that, which again, if, yeah, if simultaneously feels like yesterday and, and six months ago, but that's kind of the world we live in right now. Um, it'll be interesting to see kind of, yeah, not just how they've handled this month or, or the you know these past six weeks, but uh, yeah, when, when they kind of when did they realize there was a problem and, and what have they done? And they've talked to some about that, as you said, and, and Gary Barner spoke some about that. But yeah, just kind of more information, more details as to how, how seriously they took all of this before it kind of blew up in their faces. Uh, I saw you tweeted this morning um, and it's getting some traction. Uh, and you, you just tweeted it. You just put the, the information out there. I'll put put that out there as well. Uh, but Akram Wadley kind of told his story and uh, shared a couple of screenshots of, of some text conversations and um you know I'll, I'll just i have to be honest about this it's hard to read uh I, i'm a i'm a white man uh, i'm a i'm an iowa fan and i loved akram wadley he, he's one of my favorite hawkeyes ever just the, the way he played the the games he won uh you know the the highlights he he gave us were so great and it hurts to then read that he had a essentially a terrible experience at, at Iowa and, and he, he didn't uh, he didn't sugarcoat it at all or at least it certainly doesn't seem like it uh, it's a little more specific and maybe a little more damning than some of the other stories that we've heard uh, but I think near the end of, of his statement, it says something to the effect of uh, he wouldn't he would tell other athletes not to come to Iowa. He he did not enjoy his time there. He's not proud to you know have been a Hawkeye and and as a, as an Iowa fan, that's that's not fun to read. Now I, it's very important to read, and it's very easy for me to you know, sitting here with my white privilege to ignore things like that and pretend it's not happening because these things don't affect me every day. Um, but. But but it, it certainly is a bummer to kind of read what I read this morning from from Wadley. Yeah, and uh, people can see that on my Twitter feed, and it's it's on uh, it's on Facebook too. On um, I think it's uh, post game player rep or something like that. But anyway, you can see it on my Twitter feed. It's out there, uh, the full statement and some of the screenshots of. Uh, text conversations he had with members of the Iowa staff. Um, and there are different layers to this story. 
Andrew, um, his mom's come out and been real vocal about Iowa, um, I guess, submarining his chances to make the NFL. Um, there's just there are layers to it that I think um, if you're trying to discredit him, you can jump on certain layers or sit on certain layers of the story to discredit maybe some things that he's saying um, that don't have to do with the NFL or don't have to do maybe um, you can say this isn't you know, specifically a racist statement. You can dismiss it as saying, you know, how is this racism? Um, but if you take it in its totality, just the stories and how he felt as a member of the football program, what his time was like in the Iowa football program, you know, you talk about um, vomiting from, um, and these are allegations, vomiting from, uh, you know what he having to drink shakes and to put on weight mm. and then working out and there's an allegation that that Kirk Ferentz took away his uh, meal card um, again these are allegations and hopefully these are are stories that are looked into by this uh, this law firm that that's going to file the report uh, but it is hard to read and you know if you just look in totality of all the stories that have been told you can nitpick and pick apart here and there and I know some fans are you know using uh, you know things that you know tweets of support of the program by some of these former players as evidence that you know or perceived evidence that you know their their stories are are, aren't credible um there are just a lot of layers to to all of this um and sometimes when players are within the program you know the coaches have a lot of power over them and they're going to, you know, I, I think Akram talked about, you know, before he did interviews, the Iowa coaches told him what he could say and not say in mm-hmm. interviews. And um, I know that probably goes on in a lot of places, or maybe it doesn't. I'm not sure. But um, there are just there, – there, as I said, there are so many layers to these stories and different allegations. I think the bottom line is Gary Barta – and Kirk Ferentz, and now with Chris Doyle being gone, and and Gary Barta saying the program to move for the program to move forward, Chris Doyle had to be gone, and saying that Kirk Ferentz agreed with that. They've acknowledged that there are problems. Now it's a matter of to what level were the problems? How much of it was racist? How much of it was just bullying and mistreatment? Again, just so many layers to this story. Yeah, and and how much of it was, you know, conducted by people who are still employed by the program, and if so, what what are the proper punishments for for those people? And and hopefully that investigation will kind of lay some of those things out for us, uh, if if necessary. You mentioned Rob that you're researching a story, uh, kind of on on larger representation within the program, and I know. Um, if people haven't listened to the the Washed Up Walk-Ons podcast from this past week, uh, the boys had um, James Daniels and Jordan Lomax on, and, and they they talked a lot about it's it's a it's a good conversation. I'd, I'd recommend listening to it. But one of the things that James Daniels brought up was you know the transfer numbers, uh, and and he had the exact numbers there in front of him from several classes in a row. Uh, and I think at one point Tyler Kluver even said you know when they took their senior photo and there were only two black members of of their senior class anymore uh, which which certainly wasn't the case when they came in as a recruiting class um 
things like that, things like uh, as Gary Barta mentioned, you know, graduation rates and 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 that's that sort of thing. Um, it's just it's interesting to then kind of look at those numbers, these hard numbers that that aren't you know and and don't tell you a lot either way. There, there's not a lot of context to these things. Just looking at graduation rates or transfer numbers probably isn't enough to to determine one way or another whether there was racism within a program. But it certainly throws up some red flags at times. And uh, and as you said, you're you're researching a story kind of on that. What are you finding as you as you go through that? Yeah, and I would I would uh, add to what you said there. Um, it's important that there's nuance and context when you look at you know data and numbers uh, over a certain period of time within the Iowa program. And each player, for instance, that transfers has his own individual story. Um, you know, and, and I don't even know if you could research you know, every story why a player transferred or, you know, was a grad transfer to another school or just quit football. I mean, there are so many different aspects to um, the data. So you have to kind of keep that in mind, the nuance and the context. And I mentioned that in the story that I'm working on. And um, it's basically looking into player representation, uh, roster makeup, um, and how all that stuff relates. And obviously, as you said, Andrew, you can't just make a blanket statement. This is racism. This is, you know, but it just kind of gives you an idea of um, how some of the player representations, some of the player groups, leadership groups, um, players that were, you know, taken to Chicago for Big Ten Media Day, the, the players that kind of get Almost, it's somewhat. It's it is a reward. Players rewarded, I guess you could say. Um, what type of racial breakdown uh, occurred at Iowa over the last eleven years? And I, I did an eleven year window because it just. I don't have media guides from way back, and Iowa's website is not very thorough in certain groups that I studied. Um, so 2009 is an 11-year window. I think it's pretty that's, – that's a big enough sample size to kind of draw some, okay, look at this data. What does it say? And I'm kind of just going to leave it – I'm just going to provide the data and allow the reader to kind of just look at it and say, well, why? What is this? Um, because I don't know as you can answer the questions. Again, each individual – player has a story here but i think you just look at the the overview of the numbers and just kind of you know give yourself an idea you can judge what you think of the numbers that i provide but yeah as you said 11 years is going to provide a pretty pretty good sample size to kind of look at that overview and say you know, eh, if, if this is something, because as you said, everybody has their own story. And if it happens, uh, you know, to one recruiting class, that's one thing. And if, if for a couple years in a row, everybody who gets brought to Big Ten Media Days is white, that, that's one thing. You can, you can find the context and, and the stories within that. But if it's something that's been happening over a decade or it's been getting worse and worse or anything like that, I think uh, the, the, uh, that, that's a good enough amount of time Um to really kind of determine some of that stuff. You know, one of the things that really stood out to me when listening to those guys talking on that that Washed Up Wacons podcast, and again, not to uh, you know promote another podcast, I'm glad you listened to us. No, but. I, would, I would recommend <laughs> people listening to that because it is, it is the only time that James Daniels has spoken yes. publicly about the allegations he made, and Jordan Lomax is also on it, who, you know, both of those guys finished their careers at Iowa. Both of them are, you know, success stories coming through that program, so... I think if for the for the 
the group of fans that are looking to tear down credibility, uh, you're going to have a hard time turn, tearing down the credibility of e- either one of those two players. Um, and, and they do a good job of describing. And I thought at times it sounded like, you know, they were being interrogated yeah, for yeah. trial. That was just kind of my vibe of listening to it. And I know we all have different experiences and different viewpoints. Um, but I, I thought they did a great job of handling that and trying to express what they felt like as players as black players in the Iowa football program. Yeah, and, and, and I think, that, as you said, I agree that some of those questions were, were difficult. And I'm glad they were asked, though, because you have some some white players who went through, and, and in, in some circumstances, the exact same seasons as these guys, you know, were teammates with these guys and, and maybe didn't recognize a lot of this stuff going on. And uh, it, was, it was an interesting conversation in that way. One of the things that really jumped out at me that I hadn't considered, but that makes a lot of sense, is just this feeling of isolation that, that they, they both talked about. Um, and, and it happens in a couple of ways. One of which, the one of the bigger ones, I think, is the coaches who recruit you, the people who you make a relationship with uh, in high school, and and as you as you get ready to come to Iowa, are these people that, uh, you, as I said, you, you create this relationship with, and then you get to campus and you can't have any contact with them for like two months, and you are essentially a member of the strength and conditioning program, and you don't know Chris Doyle, and you don't know his assistants well, and you're not, uh, you, you know, you're anybody who went to college or anybody who was 18 years old understands it's it's hard to leave home that's a that's a tough thing for anybody to do and and to have that happen uh to to have it kind of pitched to you as this family and you think it's going to be one thing and you go on your visits and it's this great thing and then you get there and it's something completely different uh, not that that's wrong or or it's even avoidable um but it, it's interesting, and it, I think it provides some context in, into this isolation that these guys felt, uh, and maybe, maybe uh, also tells you that if you are a strength and conditioning coach, if you are put in this position and, and given this responsibility, that you need to take it a little more seriously and kind of understand the emotions that come with this and that these guys are coming to a strange place uh, with a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety and a lot of uncertainty and to just bully them or, or you know to, to put throw them into essentially a boot camp might not be the best way to get the most out of them. Uh, and then the other kind of big isolation thing that they talked about is these are black guys in the middle of Iowa and and you know we th- there are places in this state that are racially diverse and and uh, but but for the most part we're not and if they are walking around campus and going to class and in their dorm rooms and things and and they don't feel like they can be themselves because they are surrounded by white people and then they go into their football program and into their facility where they should it should be kind of a, uh, a a home base for them. It should be a place where they can go and kind of be themselves and act like themselves and uh, and create those lifelong bonds that they will with their teammates. Uh, and then they go in there and they're kind of told you can't act like that here either. Uh, and so then all of a sudden it's, I'm out in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of white people and I can't ever act like myself. I never feel like I can fully be who I am because I'm essentially being judged by the way I look and the way I talk and the, the music I listen to and all of this. Uh, those are just a couple of the examples I was listening to that, Again, as as a white guy, I've never really had to consider, and then it's put to you like that, and it's like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and that would be hard, and that would make things worse, and I, I wouldn't feel comfortable there, and I, I wouldn't like that. So uh, again, I, I just I, I appreciated hearing those things, and it really kind of opened my eyes to, um, to to some of the other things that these guys have to deal with when they come to campus. 
Yeah, I agree, and I thought that was insightful. Um, you know, and 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 Jordan Lomax, I think, did a really nice job of explaining that during the recruiting process. He only met with Doyle once, I think he said. He didn't even really know who he was until he showed up there. And he showed up with Nico Law. And those of us that follow Iowa football remember Nico. And he kind of – well, not kind of. He did. He had a social media presence before he arrived here. He had a podcast. Um, He's from the DMV, the the Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. And Iowa was recruiting that area of the country very hard. Um, and, and Lomax told the story of when Le- Nico Law got here that Doyle jumped on that and jumped on, you know, the fact that he had, you know, a, a reputation or, 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 you know, kind of a following with Iowa fans and used that against him. And that's not only, you know, damaging to the kid that it's directed at, but the other kids like a Jordan Lomax is like, what in the heck is going on? What am I, what did I get myself into here? And, you know, that's, uh, you hit on all those points about, you know, coming from a, a part, you know, halfway across the country, being dropped into Iowa and then not feeling like you're being welcomed, but you're being torn down. And, you know, whether that's bullying through racism, you know, unconscious racism, things that are going on, how you're feeling. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, and I know people, some people want to dismiss this as, as the, you know, the, this, this age of athlete is soft snowflakes. They can't take it. You know, when I was, when I was in high school and I played, my coach used to, you know, piss on my face or something <laughs> like that. Sorry, that was a little, probably a little bit over, <laughs> overboard, but it doesn't, you can't dehumanize these people. You can't demean these people that are coming onto campus, white, black, or indifferent, or, or any any race or, na- race or nationality. You need to treat them humanely. And um, bullying is not acceptable. And that's not an approach that you can have in coaching. Maybe it was acceptable back when, you know, Bear Bryant was a coach and, and, you know, Woody Hayes and guys like that, but it's not acceptable anymore. We've advanced as a culture. We've advanced as humans, as a, uh, I was going to say as a country, but I don't know how much we've advanced <laughs> after the last month or so. But, um, it's, it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking to know that, the first experience for these for for some of these guys was to be put into an environment that was oppressive that was not inclusive and you know wasn't probably explained as well as it should have been in recruiting if you're if you're rec- recruiting a young man to your school you better let him know exactly what he's getting to, into when he arrives on campus in that weight room. And if the first experience for the first few months on campus is being dehumanized and you didn't bring that up in recruiting, you have big problems. You're, you're not only you're not only um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for. You're not uh, not only being deceitful to the players before they get here, you're also de- de- being deceitful to, to their parents who are sending their kids to you to be in your care. 
you know, football's a tough game. It's hard. You got to work hard. You got to bust your butt to be good at it. But that doesn't need to include being bullied and degraded and dehumanized. And if those allegations are true, and obviously Iowa felt that enough of them were true that, that Chris Doyle is no longer with the program, then you've got to look beyond that because these stories are just not about Chris Doyle. It's well said, and, and we'll continue to cover this on Hawkeye Nation. Rob will have that piece coming up some at some point, and uh, th- this isn't going away, but uh, you know, until we get the investigation results and, and kind of go to the next step of this, um, you know, probably not a lot of kind of hard information that, that we'll have and, until that, that actually happens. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Do you want to shift here to another light topic, Rob? Of COVID-19. That's still a thing. uh, And it's becoming a worse thing in some parts of the country. Um, The last we saw was, I I guess, last week, uh, I will put out that... Uh, nine people had tested positive recently, bringing the total within the Iowa Athletic Department to 12 since testing began at the start of the month. So that's a total of 12 positive tests, uh, 374 negative tests. Uh, and that was, again, I think a week ago or so that, that they put that those numbers out. So that obviously could have changed. And I, I do want to start there before getting into ticket sales uh, and the possibility of fans in attendance in Kinnick Stadium this fall. Uh, because I'm starting to worry about the validity of having a season at all or certainly of having an uninterrupted season. Uh, um, you know, it's it's true, and, and I think it's important to note that the vast majority of college-aged people, and, and especially those who are healthy and in good condition, like the majority of, of college athletes, will not suffer grave consequences, or it doesn't seem like they will suffer grave consequences from getting this virus. Uh, we're, but, but what we are seeing... It's just how contagious this is when we're not all staying away from each other, when we're not social distancing, when we're not quarantined in our houses. Uh, you see that you're seeing this all around the country here in Iowa with high school baseball. We're seeing it, but certainly in college football, as, as teams have gotten back to campus and started working out again, uh, the the outbreaks of this are just kind of mind blowing. I mean, you see it at Clemson and Kansas State, and uh, we're we're talking about ten people at Iowa State, nine people at Iowa. Like that, like that's not a big number. Like that's not a breakout uh, or an outbreak. Um, you know, Kansas State had to shut down practice for a couple of weeks. I think I just saw a tweet that Oklahoma State had like 14 guys test positive. Uh, now we've we've kind of decided as a society, I guess, or, or at least our leaders have decided for us that this is just something that we're going to live with. We we need to find a way to get back to some some semblance of a normal life while dealing with this. And people are going to get this, and they're going to get sick, and hopefully a lot of them are going to get better, and some people are going to die, and this is just kind of what what we do. And 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 that's not uh, that's not a new thing this is what we do with a lot of the dangerous things we do in our lives and then honestly a lot of the the uh, illnesses we have but we we don't know much about this yet even though we've been dealing this with this for a few months now um but again, I think we're starting to see how contagious this is. And so I, I really kind of see like three options coming with this because I, I don't see 
essentially we, we don't have a season at all. And I don't think that's going to happen. There's just too much money and too much momentum towards having a season. Uh, I think that there's a chance that we have a season, but teams will have to forfeit games as players are found positive in quarantine for, for two weeks. If, if we're going to essentially say that anybody who, who tests positive is quarantined for two weeks and then anybody they've had extended contact with also has to be quarantined, this is going to impact a lot of college football teams this fall, and it's going to make us so some teams aren't going to be able to field a team. Um, I just don't see how you're going to have three quarterbacks in a quarterback room, and then one of them gets it, and then be able to have a quarterback, you know, this Saturday. So I think I think that's more likely. We'll have a kind of an interrupted season, a, a disjointed season. Um, the, I think the third option, and I'm not sure what this means. This is just kind of a vague thing is that we drastically change the way we're dealing with this. And, and I don't know, again, I don't know what that looks like or what happens on the other side of that. I, I don't, like, personally, I don't think that would be the right thing to do uh, to, to make it so that if you're asymptomatic, you don't have to quarantine or if, if you test positive but don't, yeah, but don't have symptoms. Uh, if you're just kind of in contact with somebody but you test negative right away, you don't have to quarantine. I don't know what that looks like. But as we are proceeding right now, which is with essentially anybody who tests positive or shows symptoms, gets quarantined. This is going to be an interrupted football season. Uh, I, I just don't see any any way out of that. Uh, do you? Yeah, man. It's just, <laughs> there's so... it's And we've dealt with this pretty much since mid-March, Andrew, that the, the I, I think it's human nature to try to predict or, you know try to figure out what's going to happen with this thing. And every time we think we've got this thing figured out, it throws another curveball. You know, when you look at what's going on in Florida and Arizona yeah, and some Texas. of these state, states where it's getting hairy again and people are like, well, it's the second. No, it's the first wave. So we're still dealing with the first wave in different areas of this country. Um, Johnson County has not been, you know, has had a, a bit of a spike here in recent uh, recent days. So, um as you said, it's a risk-reward thing, and there's a lot of money involved here. And that's the reason why they're taking the risk, that reward. And, and it's not just for the, the football programs. I mean, players are willing to t- take risks because they want to play. And they want to, you know, a large portion of them believe they can play at the next level, and they want to showcase themselves to be able to play in the NFL. So they're willing to risk for a potential reward. Um, but it's just, I mean, it's June 29th. Who the heck is, who the heck knows what's going to happen, yeah. you know, on September 5th when the season, what, what it's going to look like then that's over two months. And we talked about, we're only six months into this year and what, um, three and a half months into the pandemic. So, you know, it's over halfway to to you know what's left. You know, the 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 two months left before the season. But it's just, I I would be I I just think it's it's a waste of time to to try to predict what it's going to look like on September fifth. You just get up each day and say, okay, what's it look like today? And then tomorrow it can look different. And um, I th- I believe it's July twenty fourth is when the because now the workouts at these places and you mentioned Clemson they've had 37 players test positive um, 
I forget what the number was at Kansas State. Uh, Iowa had a spike, though. I mean, it, those num the the twelve is a number over you know since they returned, but I think it was nine of thirty or thirty one. Yeah. The last release, so now you're seeing that go up a little bit. So, it, you know, you kind of have to just take each week. I don't know when Iowa's going to release its next results. Some schools uh, release which sports are involved. If it's staff members, Iowa just does a blanket athletic department testing um, that that's, they release to the public. So... You know, July 24th, it goes from what it is now, which is voluntary workouts to non-voluntary workouts. And what happens then? Now you've got interaction between, you know, daily interaction. Right now, the workouts are more with the strength and conditioning class and the athletes, and there's very limited contact, personal contact with the players. July 24th, you're going to get back out on the field. You're going to start hitting each other. The coaches are going to be out there. That takes it. Now you've got, you know, basically what? five or six weeks before the season where that's going on, what happens then? So it's really just a wait and see. And, you know, we talked about it before we started recording. Iowa will stop selling foot, football tickets beginning tomorrow, Tuesday, June 30th. Um, they're already over 40,000 sold. Um, are they going to be able to honor that many tickets? Iowa State saying they're looking at half full stadium, which is Iowa's already over that at this point. And the last I heard from Gary, Gary Barta, he's still, you know, they did stop the, the sales, but the last we talked to him, he was still, well, June 15th, he was still planning on trying to fill the stadium. It's just, there's so many things that go into this. And then how do you handle that, Andrew? How do you handle the sta- fans coming into the stadium? Do you require masks? Is there tailgating? Uh, you know, are there people in the suites? There's so much that has to go on with this, that there's so much of this that's still is in limbo. We just won't know it until time passes and we see how this thing goes. The virus is in charge. Yeah, you're exactly right. The virus <laughs> is in charge. Uh, we're just kind of along for the ride. You know, the you, you talk about Iowa State and saying they're, they're gonna they, they're moving forward essentially assuming half capacity, fifty percent capacity at Jack Trice Stadium this fall, and they plan for that to be September fifth. Now they, they are going to require masks, but then they I think the wording is masks for entry. Um, how how enforceable is it to have people wearing masks the entire game, the entire time? Are you going to have people walking around enforcing that? If somebody gets belligerent about that, are they going to be escorted out of the stadium or, or is that going to be kind of a thing that that's overlooked? I think spacing people out is going to be interesting because if you have only people who buy season tickets and only people who donate to the program and you have to have a certain number of those people sitting in nosebleed seats and in, in sections in the end zone where they're not used to sitting, uh, are, are they going to be okay with that? Are people going to or is it going to be like a baseball game you know in the eighth inning where people start to move down to the box seats because those people left and hey now we can go out and go down and get some better seats it's it's going to be really interesting to see you know and, and who and do I you guess, allow who do you allow to sit together right Th- these people Just are family. a family right or are they a family these are friends with fa- with family yes you know how, how do you determine if these people haven't been together or before they came into the stadium and now are getting together. There's just so much, man. And and you know, with with that situation, even though it's outdoors and I think it's probably safer than than a basketball arena, you're talking about four hours at least of people standing in the same area, cheering, yelling, sweating. Uh, you know, th- these if droplets no that tailgating. people are talking about. Yeah, right, exactly. And what do you do, Andrew, when there's tailgating? You can say if you're the University of Iowa, hey, we don't have tailgating on our property. What about Joe Smith's, 
you know, tailgating area down the road on Melrose. Yeah. You can't stop them. And, and exactly. And you can't say you can only tailgate if you have a ticket because people are going to come and tailgate who don't have tickets because that's part of what they've done every Saturday during football season, you know, for 30 years. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see. And then how does it fly in the face of kind of what, what health officials are saying, what governments are saying? You know, who has the ultimate say in this? In, in For Iowa State's example here in, in Central Iowa, we've been talking about this the last week or so, the Story County Board of Health, and, and for those who don't know, Ames, Iowa is inside Story County. They have strenuously in, like suggested, requested, uh, recommended, I guess is the right word, that Iowa State not have fans at athletic events this fall. Well, Iowa State, at least as to now, is not taking the, that recommendation. Now, they don't have any legal reason that they have to, but if the County Board of Health is saying, don't do this, how responsible is it to then do it? And and can you then do it in a responsible way? Um, what you know, how, what role does the governor have in this? What role does, does the county supervisors, the Board of Regents? Uh, there, there's just so many levels of kind of bureaucracy with this. It's going to be interesting to see who determines how many people get inside, who determines who those people are, and then how those people act once they do get inside and, and I, th- I think it could be a thing Rob like we're seeing in Florida and in Texas and that it, you can debate on, on why those things why, why those spikes are happening if it's because of protests or reopening of bars or, or what have you but they, they are happening there's no debate about that uh, what if we're three weeks into college football season and all of a sudden a spike hits around the country because we've let you know 40,000 people into football stadiums around around the country do, do, do we then stop it and and how do you go about that uh, it's it's I think as you said it's a fool's errand to try to predict what's going to happen but man it's when you just start to think about it and you start to think about the layers and the tentacles of this as we've talked about for months now it's just such a big issue and i just don't see a clear or easy answer to any of it i think i saw this andrew and maybe you can confirm this or or um poo poo it so to speak but is iowa one of four states that has no mask requirements Yes, I believe that's correct. Yes. Yeah, I thought I saw that too. So that's something to keep in mind. And I know the anti-mask people will be like, eh, it doesn't do anything, but it certainly couldn't hurt. It doesn't hurt anything to wear a mask. And it'll be interesting to see that some of the states that are spiking now are states that didn't require masks and didn't have uh, shutdowns of certain areas of the uh, the state and communities. So um, it's just something to keep an eye on. And again, it's a virus that's leading our way here. We don't know how it's going to act. We don't know what it's go- going to impact. But, you know, beyond the, the, you know, the game day and what fans get in, you talked about it earlier, Andrew, the health of the players. What if you just, I mean, what are you competing for? Uh, um, you know, what, what if, um, you know, the Big Ten schedule, uh, you know, one team comes down with, you know, it, it surges through one team and it can't compete. So that's a, a game on your schedule that you can't play. You know, you're talking about unbalanced schedules and unbalanced games and, you know, unbalanced results based on things like that. Or, you know, you play a game, but you're missing your entire secondary. Or the quarterback room, like you said. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many, as you said, layers and tentacles that can go into this of unknowns. And it's not a chicken little theory either. It's just we're seeing it happen in real time. And we won't know what what, what it's going to, to definitively impact 
but it's go but even say everything's clear by september 5th and everything's cool all right yeah northern iowa's coming in it's a game everybody's healthy boom boom what happens that next week it can hit again and just like that you know some it can change so i'll be interesting to see if they can play a full season in the fall if you know can there be bowl games? What are you playing for? Is there a Big Ten championship game in Indianapolis? Um, does the season get split up into some being played in the fall and some being played uh, in the spring? Uh, we know at Iowa that uh, classes will go online starting in thanks- at Thanksgiving. So now all of the students will be off campus starting on Thanksgiving break. Does that mean the players uh, student athletes stay on campus, even though it's not safe for the regular student body to be on campus. Right. It's a lot of stuff going on here. Well, much like the race conversation, this isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And so we'll have plenty of time to uh, to continue this discussion and hopefully have more information kind of as we move forward. Uh, Rob, you've, you've had a few pieces and, uh, and interviews and things on the, on the site lately uh, of some football recruiting. Uh, any, any big things you want to touch on there? How, how is recruiting uh, looking? You know, we talked before this whole race thing came up that I was in such a great position recruiting. Um, have, have you a? I guess have you noticed any impact from from what we've learned in the last month? Uh, and then b, kind of just how how is recruiting going overall? Well, I was in good shape in the 2021 class, and they kept everybody together in the 2020 class. That's the the class that arrived on campus this month, um, with the exception of uh tory taylor the punter out of australia who i have a story on he, he can't get over here yet yeah. he's waiting on some some travel th- bands being well, i don't even know if they're bands just kind of some some hurdles he has to clear before he can get here and he's thinking the end of july beginning of august before he can get on campus so right around when they start um non-voluntary workouts he hopes to be on campus uh so that's something to keep an eye on uh i was doing well in the 2021 class which are players that will be seniors this coming year many of those players have already visit and established relationships with the staff um they added uh jordan oladokun uh committed a week ago yesterday um Tampa cornerback. He was committed actually in the spring and decommitted because he wanted to kind of step back. He felt like he got caught up kind of in uh, a flurry of, of people committing to Iowa during that time, stepped back and then realized this is where he wanted to be. His high school teammate at Tampa Gaither, Ricky Parks, a four star running back, was down to Iowa and Utah. He announced yesterday, uh, Sunday, June 28th, and he went with Utah despite not having visited Utah before and visited Iowa twice. Uh, I have not talked to Ricky and not do not know the reasons behind that. Um, I know Iowa has a pretty stocked running back room. I do not know what the running back room looks at like at Utah. Utah has had quite a bit of success at the running back position. Uh, I believe their last three have been drafted into the NFL, so that certainly can be a part of it. Uh, Iowa has 17 verbal commitments, I believe, in its 2021 class. Um, 
that number usually ends up in the low 20s so a lot of uh, a lot of work done there and that's a, that's a good sign i think if there is in is an impact based on these allegations against the program andrew it's going to be show up more in the 22 23 mm. and beyond classes just because those are kids that you're still just kind of starting to build a relationship with in a lot of instances now you're going against schools that um, in your region, let's say Iowa State, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Minnesota, that now have ammunition against you if they're going after the same players. I did a story back on June 15th and spoke with, and we may have talked about this, but I spoke with uh, a few players, three players uh, in the 22 and 23 classes, or no, they were all in the 22. Well, one was in the 21 class, Skylar Bell, a receiver uh, that uh, – is a high school teammate of Deontay Vines, a member of the 2020 class uh, from Connecticut, the Taft School. And he told me he was alarmed by the allegations, but he believes that Iowa uh, can fix it. And he's still considering Iowa. Then we had uh, um, Xavier Wonkpu, I believe is how you say his name. Uh, he's the number one or number two player in the state in the 22 class. He attends Southeast Polk. He's a defensive back. Um, he told me just, you know, he thinks he, he also was kind of taken aback, but he he's, feels pretty confident Iowa can fix whatever that needs to be changed in the program. Uh, and then Isaac Thompson, who's a four-star defensive back out of St. Louis in the 2022 class, uh, who has offers from, you know, a who's who, Notre Dame, Michigan, uh, Texas, I believe, uh, very highly regarded kid, one of the top kids in this region. Uh, he basically told me he'd be lying if he said he was still considering Iowa. Uh, he was stunned. His family was stunned by the allegations and they did not, they, they almost felt like they did not get a clear picture um, based on those allegations when they visited Iowa. I believe they visited Iowa three times. And he said Iowa was in his top five with schools like Notre Dame, Michigan, I believe Ohio State, Texas. So that's an instance where we know that the allegations impacted uh, the view of a, a highly, highly regarded recruit that was, you know, had Iowa held in high regard. So I really think you're going to have to look at the 22 and 23 classes and beyond to see what type of impact I think if I if there is a football season this year it's even more important for Iowa to do well because if you have these allegations and you have a poor season on the field that is a bad recipe on the recruiting trail yeah no doubt and obviously how they how they react to these allegations and then what happens after this investigation will, sure. will play a big role uh, last thing uh, Rob I wanted to touch on I saw Fran McCaffrey uh, had a little Facebook live uh, session uh, last week and uh, you wrote a, a nice piece on, on Hawkeye Nation about it uh, one of the big things obviously the big question the really the, the sole question mark about this basketball season, other than it will there be a basketball season, is what's Luca Garza going to do? Uh, so he he is on campus, he is practicing with the guys. I guess not not with coaches, right? Just uh, kind of voluntary workouts and weightlifting and and hanging out and, and shooting around. But uh, he he has until August third now to make this decision whether he wants to come back for a senior season uh, or or head head to the pros, whether that's the NBA or Europe or wherever that may be. Um, but I, I I like the fact that he's practicing with the team and that it seems like he understands fully what this decision is. He understands what he stands to gain coming back and as as far as records and potential uh, for the 
this team to do things that no Iowa has team has done in, in this century, uh, and all of that. You know, finish out this string with his boys, um, and and I think he'll have a full understanding of of what the professional market looks like, what the NBA looks like, what Europe looks like, and kind of what his earning power is uh, be, beyond Iowa. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see this next month or so what Luka Garza decides to do. Do you think he'll wait until August third to make that decision, or you think we'll hear something sooner than that? It's a good question. And Fran McCaffrey said on that that uh, the the Facebook Live that you talked about that he he thought there would be an um, a decision or an announcement relatively soon. I don't know what that means. Um, relatively soon, I guess, could be a month, which is closer to when the deadline is. So it's just like you said, he's working out with the team, uh, basically. Uh, they have weight training. This is all voluntary. They do, you know, strength and conditioning, and then they play five on five. And the coaches can't be involved in that. Um, the, the 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 non-strength coaches, that is, and but they can do some individual workouts with players, the, the staff. So, um, and he's here, and he's working with his teammates, working out with his teammates. He's still advancing with them towards a season. So he's not like off, you know, doing uh, individual workouts with NBA teams or at a combine or any of that other stuff. He's preparing like everybody else. So there's really no need for him to say whether he's coming back or not until he needs to. And, you know, he may just get to the point where, listen, I'm tired of answering this question. I'm coming back. I haven't heard anything from the NBA that leads me to believe that I've got a guarantee. And that's really what he's told us from the jump. He wanted a guarantee from an NBA be a team that he would make a roster and you know just based on what we've seen some evaluations and things like that I, I i don't think that's very likely um i guess the one thing we don't know andrew is is what we've talked about in this podcast already is how this virus affects the basketball season and you know if it gets to a point you know in another month where it looks like the basketball season's in jeopardy and he hasn't made his choice yet then yeah. maybe that's part of his decision making process so i just don't see what the, there, that there's an urgency for him to make a decision at this point because it's not costing him any development with his team if he were to come back to Iowa and it still allows him to listen to NBA teams, maybe get feedback he hasn't heard yet that can help him going forward. Um, I just think it's the best of both worlds for him right now and there's really no downside to him waiting. You know, if the virus is listening, I'll I'll tell you this. (laughs) You can have my sense of smell. You you can have you can have my social life. Don't take this basketball season, please. Just don't take this basketball season. I'm it's so excited just, for uh, it. You think about what it wiped out last. You know, with the last basketball season yep. and spring football and what it could do to this football team, which has pretty high hopes. Um, and certainly, I think you can make a case for as a contender for the Big Ten West division. I, I wouldn't say it's a favorite, but certainly a contender. And then, obviously, what we see with this basketball team if Luca were, were to come back. So, the virus is bad for everybody, um, but it's really at an in, in you know a, an unfortunate time for Iowa athletics. There's no doubt, Rob. This is. It, it was fun. I was I was I was hesitating to say it was fun because the topics aren't aren't always fun to talk about. But I think it's important to have these conversations. And, and this is what's happening, man. This this is the world we live in, for better or for worse. And I think ultimately, uh, especially the race stuff, it's all going to be for better, uh, both within the Iowa program and and within our country. Uh, there's going to be some growing pains and and uh, some some difficult conversations and some difficult months and years ahead. But uh, I think it's all for the better. And and I enjoy having this time with you each and every week. Uh, 
and then hope to do it again a week from now and uh, maybe we'll have some more information uh, some some new things to talk about uh, but I appreciate this as always again everybody check out HawkeyeNation.com check out Rob on Twitter to uh, to kind of follow up uh, with what's going on what do you expect on the uh, on the site this week Rob well, I'm, I'm in the process of, of working on that story that we, we talked about earlier. That's kind of a big story just in terms of not only from a word standpoint, but just from a research standpoint and using graphs and different, you know, uh, elements to the story. So I hope by midweek um, I'm going to run it by um, – uh, John Miller's helping me just kind of edit and look at it and, and just kind of, you know, word it and put it together uh, the best way it can be. Uh, it's obviously something that, uh, uh, you know, is, I don't want to say controversial because I don't like that word, but it, it's touching on uh, that race you know, the race aspect again of the Iowa football program. So I will also run that past, uh, the owners of Hawkeye nation. So not has not to, uh, of getting any trouble there. Uh, so, so it may take a few days is what I'm saying before I'm able to, to publish that. Um, Looking to do a podcast with Arlen Bruce, oh. uh, a member of the 2021 Iowa recruiting class. Uh, he is a black player from the Kansas City area uh, who's been kind of outspoken about why he believes Iowa can change yeah. the culture. Uh, so going to do a prospect podcast with him hopefully tomorrow. Uh, we'll do the mailbag podcast on Wednesday. Wednesday. Uh, some new basketball recruiting uh, offers have gone out, so going to try to track some of those folks down um maybe start to look actually at a, at the football season um and, and what maybe things look like on the field which will be nice uh to actually talk about football um so those are some of the things i have in mind and i haven't heard from rick yet so i'm not sure rick brown what uh he has planned for this week but i would expect uh some some content from him and i, and I love his content andrew he brings a great historical perspective yes on iowa, iowa sports and is just uh just a pro and, and i appreciate having him uh as a member of this site just like i appreciate having you because you're a pro and, and you make these podcasts a whole heck of a lot better uh and i look forward to doing these each week and i'm hoping this next week brings us positive news to talk about next monday i will i will do what i can to find some positive news <laughs> for our next podcast which again will be next monday but yeah keep keep refreshing the feed and the website uh we'll have a ton more for you rob this is fun as always man thank you Good to talk to you, Andrew. All right. Thank you for listening. Go Hawks.